The message you're about to listen to is a recording from God's favorite house. It is our prayer that you listen, your life will be transformed, and you will be taken to greater heights in your walk with Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you listen to this message. Today, we are going to be looking at stewardship. Everybody say stewardship. Stewardship. Acts, our text remains Acts of the Apostles chapter 2. Verse 42 to 47. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything. Everybody say shared everything. They shared everything they had. Verse 45. They sold their property and possession and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together in the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. And all the while praising God and enjoying favor, goodwill with all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So, we, what we see here is that the church in Acts was big on stewardship. Now, I mean, you can say, okay, Pastor, where is that in this passage of Scripture? The question is, what is stewardship? Who is a steward? When, when, when you say this person is my steward, who is a steward? Simply put, a steward is someone that is in charge of somebody else's property. So a steward, um, by definition, manages and looks after another's property. That's who a steward is. So the church in Acts and you and I, we are just stewards. We are stewards. Back in the beginning, when, when God made Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, God, the word of God says that the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to, to what? To tend and to what? To watch over. That, that sounds more like stewardship to me. But unfortunately, man confuses stewardship with ownership. Unfortunately, man, when you put him in charge of something to tend and to watch, to manage, to be a steward of, man tends to think he owns it. Praise the Lord. So a major problem with man is that word, mine. M-I-N-E. For those of us that are parents, we know that Every child goes through that phase where everything is what? It's mine. In fact, my daughter's own is, is mine, mine, mine. Everybody's own is once mine. Our own is what? Mine, mine, mine. And unfortunately, of course, people grow out of that phase. But unfortunately, the, the nature of man, we never really grow out of that phase. We, we, we remain where we, we claim 
has just put us in charge of. We say, it's mine. And heaven is saying, really? It's really yours? It's mine. It's mine. It's my achievement. It's my degree. I made a first class. It is my certificate. It is my house. It is my car. It is my children. They are my children. They are your children, really? You will discover that they are not. They just pass through your body. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. And that's the problem with us. Man, I mean. We confuse stewardship with ownership. God puts us to, to take care, to tend, and to watch over, and we, 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 we say we, we own it because we are in charge. I'm in charge. Are you really in charge? In Daniel chapter 4, there was a powerful king, a very powerful, one of the most powerful kings in the history of man. He fell into the same trap. Daniel chapter 4, from verse 30 to 32. Daniel 4. 30 to 32, the word of God says in Daniel 4, 30 to 32, that, and he looked across the city. This is Nebuchadnezzar. And he said, look at this great city of Babylon. By my own power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my Majestic splendor. Now, the Bible says, while the words were still in his mouth. Look, heaven, there are many things God can joke with. He doesn't joke with his glory. And the word mine undermines God's glory. While the words were still in his mouth, a voice came down from heaven. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer the ruler of this kingdom. I mean, everyone just announced it. You are no longer the ruler. Imagine that. Amazing. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with wild animals, and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven Periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and he gives them to anyone he chooses. <laughs> Hallelujah! And that is the lesson the church in Acts knew. That's why they didn't grab onto their possessions. Let me tell you something. The more, the, the more you know this, the more you know God. In fact, the, 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 less you are, the more you are possessive, the less of God you know. Nebuchadnezzar was intelligent. He was smart. He was swift in decision making. In fact, history has it that Nebuchadnezzar can talk to you, to five people, and can tell you what they said in the meeting before they came in. Not because he had divination, but because he was so smart. So he had, he had the right, quote-unquote, to think 
that I got this by my intelligence. I got this by my power. So we tend to think that we are owners when God has repeatedly made it clear to us that we are managers. We tend to think that we are owners when God has consistently made it clear to us. He has not left us in any doubt that we don't own anything. Praise the name of the Lord. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and they that what? Dwell therein. Deuteronomy 8, 18 tells us that remember the Lord your God is the one that gives you the power to be successful. Remember, because you see, success is blinding. But God is saying, remember. That intelligence, remember God gave you. That beauty, remember God gave you. That power, remember God gave you. That, those finances, remember God gave you. Remember. Don't ever forget. Don't forget who owns the house. Now, imagine a lot of us have ourselves. Imagine a house help now that lives in your house. Automatically, the house help enjoys the ACs in the house. Am I correct? Do you tell them to wear masks when they come in so they don't enjoy the ACs? No, they enjoy the ACs in the house. If you live in a place where they don't take light a lot, or if they take light, your gen kicks in automatically. He enjoys uninterrupted power, right? He enjoys free water. He can have his bath three times or ten times a day. I hope you don't measure those things. He can eat whatever he wants to eat. But the day he begins to forget... That is just a house help. That day is the beginning of the day he begins to lose his job. Imagine you come back from work. You know, a lot of us have given this example before. A lot of us have chairs. I don't have in my house, but a lot of men do. And there's not, really nothing wrong with it. There's a chair called Daddy's Chair. Is there? When we were growing up, there was Daddy's Chair. <laughs> you know? And, you know, some houses there are Daddy's Chair. I mean, it's neither here nor there for me. I don't know, there's no daddy's chair in my house. Every chair is everybody's chair. And there's daddy's chair. Daddy's chair is the most comfortable chair. Yeah. <laughs> is that so? He has access to the remote control. He's strategically positioned for the AC. You know, he just has everything going on. Then, even mommy tries to revert daddy's chair to the children. That, oh, that's your daddy's chair. You know, that's how we were brought up. So just to respect the man. Then daddy comes back home and sees the house help. Coke on one side, remove control on the other side, like dressing on daddy's chair. What will happen to that house help? That's the end of his job. And that's how a lot of us behave with God. God has given us all things to freely enjoy. But just for us to know that I've given you to freely enjoy, but it belongs to me. That's why the Bible says it's better to go to a house of funeral than a house of celebration. 
Why? Because in the house of Israel, you are instructed that nobody takes anything away from this earth. If you build a hundred houses, you have a thousand cars, you have a billion dollars in your account, the day you leave this earth, you are going solo. Some people, they're upset. They don't want to clap about that. They say, Pastor, why are you telling us all that? I mean, what's all that now? Are you trying to make us feel bad? No! No! Not at all. I'm trying to prepare you for eternity. I'm trying to prepare you to be kings on earth. I'm trying to prepare you to rise above materialism. It destroys people's souls. It does. So, whatever comfort, whatever wealth we enjoy, Belongs to us the same way the garden belongs to Adam. The same way the house belongs to the house elf. Praise the name of the Lord. Whatever wealth, whatever comfort, whatever life we enjoy. Belongs to us the same way the garden belongs to, to, to Adam. The same way the house belongs to the house elf. I haven't said that. The flip side is the. Some people are very happy the AC has gone off. <laughs> I hope it went off well. I hope there was no problem. <laughs> anyway, the flip side is um, some Christians are now averse to money. Some Christians now think. There's a problem with money. There's a problem with possession. There's, you see, on, that's another thing with man. We like to be on one extreme or the other. In fact, I know Christians that literally run from money. I have, I have a friend, I have friends, but a part, particular one. I have friends in this category, but a particular one is very close to my wife and I. He's, he practically runs from money. If you say he just wants to make heaven. I just want to, me and my family, just for us, my responsibility is to carry this family and carry them to heaven. I'm like, really? You see, money, because it thinks that money is a trap. It thinks that money is, 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 a, is the devil's device to trap him and destroy him. But money is not a trap. Listen to this. You have to get this. Money is not a trap. Money is a test. Money is not a trap. Money is what? Is a test. Always. Always. Money is always a test. Always. Possessions are a test. Everything you own is a test. God has, has, has given that business breakthrough. Guess what? Heaven is waiting and watching. Let's see what she will do. Let's see what it will do. It's a test. Money is a test. If you understand this, your life becomes easy because you know that I'm going to pass the test, right? People that fail tests, those kind of tests, they really don't know there's a test. So they just go on business as usual. And when we say money, you know, I'm using money to be synonymous with everything we own. And by everything we own, we mean our treasure, our time and our talent. But we are going to be focusing on the treasure part because we use our time and talent to get treasure. We use all our time, well, a lot, and 
all our talent, a lot of it, to get our treasure. So when we say everything we own, we are saying talent, treasure, time. But we'll be talking in, in, in terms of treasure. So that we have context. Praise the name of the Lord. So everything we own is a test. Everything we own is a test. It's a test of our affection. God wants to see, where is your love for me? It's, it's a test. It's a test of our devotion. God wants to see, where is the devotion to me? It's a test. It's a test of our trust. So everything we own is a test of our affection. It's a test of our devotion. It's a test of our trust. It's a test. Praise the name of the Lord. So, let's take the first one. Everything we own is a test of our affection. Everything we own is a test of our affection. Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, verse 34. Luke 12, 34. The word of God says in Luke 12, 34, it says, For where your treasure is, there is where you will put, sorry, for where your, am I mixing this up? No. For where your treasure is, yeah, there is, there your heart will be also. So, Jesus is saying, this is the words of Jesus. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, Jesus did not say, where your heart is, that is where you will put your treasure. No. Two different things. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be. Make no mistake about it. It's not the other way around. It's not where your heart is, that's where you will put your treasure. So what am I saying? What is Jesus saying in essence? He's saying, is, I can tell you where your heart will be tomorrow based on where your treasure is today. Your heart is where it is today because of where you put your treasures yesterday. You can clap a little, sir. It's okay. It's allowed. You know, because in this thing, not everybody will catch it, but I pray everybody catches it in Jesus' name. Some people have caught it, but they are very, they are very um, cool. You know, they don't clap. Let me just go over it again for the sake of clarity. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where what? Your heart will be. Jesus did not say, where your heart is, that is where your treasure will be. That's why people say to their wives, oh, my, my heart is with you. You know I love you. But the woman is seeing that your treasure is going to somewhere else. So she's shouting because she sees your treasure going somewhere else. Because she knows eventually your heart will follow. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So she's shouting. And you're saying, why are you shouting? You know, I love you. That's your, but see where your, your treasure is going. Somewhere else. The same thing, because I can tell you where your heart will be tomorrow. 
by checking where your treasure is going today. Chicken up. That's what Jesus is saying. And I think you should clap for Jesus for that. <laughs> now everybody's got to me. Okay. <clears throat> the test of affection. The test of affection. The test of affection. There's a story in the book of Acts, you know, that I used to struggle with when I first gave my life to Jesus. It's the story in Acts chapter 5. It's this popular story of Ananias and Sapphira. I used to struggle with that story because I, I, I was like, this God is very dangerous. So I can't just send husband and wife to early grave for what? Did they, did they even gave you some money. Are you still angry? Are you not content? I did say it out because I was afraid. But you know God already knows our hearts. So I'm sure he was just laughing at me. I used to struggle with that story because whenever I read it, I'm like, come on, these guys, they, they, they tried. But as I grew in God, I saw their, their flaws. It became that they didn't even do, in fact, they, they, Peter should have slapped him before he, before he died. <laughs> I'm sorry. So I'll give him one for the road. <laughs> Poor. The point is this. Everybody was making a sacrifice. Everybody was selling their possession and giving their money to the church. And that was, it was, nobody was forcing anybody to do it. It was just purely out of love for God and love for his work. Now, Ananias and Sapphira, right, decided to also pretend that they love God like everybody did. And they sold their possession, their possession. And they gave a part to the church. I can assume it's even a, a, large, a larger part, maybe. But you see, the problem with Ananias and Sapphira was what Peter said. When you had it, was it not yours? If you sold it and you gave it to God, is it still not yours? I mean, what does that mean? It means when you give to God, you've not lost anything. It's your father's. Can't you see it's your father? Why are you playing games with God? Why are you playing games with God? And because you have played games with God, Peter pronounced the verdict. Wow. Affection. Everybody say affection. So, number two, as we, as we heard, everything we own is a test of our affection. Number two, everything we own is a, the test of our what? Devotion. It's a test of our devotion. And a key thing, a key thing to devotion, a key to devotion, a key to devotion is recognizing God as source and sovereign. That's the key to devotion. If you, if you are struggling to have your money devotion, check. If you are struggling to have a consistent devotion with God, check. The key to devotion is every time you go before God and you bow before him or you worship him, you pray, you have your devotion. It's a recognition of God as your source. Anytime you can do without praying, you can do without having your devotion, it's, you are making a statement that I don't need you. Worship and devotion is a 
statement to heaven that you recognize God as your source and that he's sovereign over you. And that is powerful. That is so powerful. And possession is a test. When God blesses you with, uh, with possession, with wealth, with, with treasure, is a test of that devotion. It's going to test that devotion. Do you acknowledge God? And that was the problem Nebuchadnezzar had in Daniel 4 that we read. Verse 25. By time we end verse 25, this is Daniel warning Nebuchadnezzar. The word of God says, seven periods, this is Daniel speaking, will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdom of the world and he gives them, he gives these kingdoms to whoever he chooses. Now, 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 is that not sovereignty? That the Most High is sovereign. That the Most High rules. And that's what Daniel was saying. And Daniel said to him, Oh God, please, I beg you, humble yourself. This is the decree of the Most High. It has gone out. But oh God, please, humble yourself so that these things don't happen to you. You think that a wise king will heed, right? Twelve months passed. Twelve months before God struck. God gave him twelve months to, to repent. Twelve months. Month one, two, three, four, five. Nebuchadnezzar did not repent. Twelve months. Acknowledge that it's not by your power. Is that difficult? I hope it isn't. Acknowledge that there's a God that has made you, not you by yourself. Acknowledge him. Twelve months passed. Now, interestingly, when Nebuchadnezzar <laughs> began to chop grass, just that's what happened. You know, one of the prayers I pray is that, God, please, uh, don't let me chop grass. Before I understand these things, please, I beg you. I don't need grass, please. Because God can make anybody chop grass. He made the king of this biggest, strongest king in the world at the time eat grass like a cow just to show him that I am God. <laughs> I can unpack this. I mean, but it's so much. It's so, so much. At the end of seven years of eating grass, he was the first vegetarian. <laughs> at the end of Seven years, no offense to vegetarians, but vegetarian, you are here, you are online. No offense. God loves vegetarians too. At the end of seven years, Daniel 4, 34, at the end of seven years, the Bible says, after this time has passed, this is Nebuchadnezzar speaking by himself, after this time has passed, he says, what? I, Nebuchadnezzar, 
looked up to heaven. My sanity returned, and I praised and honored and worshipped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting. His kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people on the earth. And no one can stop him. No one can say to him, why do you do? What do you mean by doing these things? That's Scabia, see? So Nebuchadnezzar was saying, Scabia, see? But did he have to chop grass for seven years? To discover the basic facts of life. That there is a God in heaven. And he rules on the earth. Which is why you cannot just fret about elections, 2014, 2015, whatever. Oh, Nigeria. You can't fret. Because there's a God in the rules over. Listen, listen. Many are the devices in the heart of man. But nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord shall stand in Nigeria in the name of Jesus. When you understand this, you, you don't lose your sleep. So, number one, treasure, possession is a test of our what? Affection. Number two is a test of our, and number three is a test of our trust. Test of our trust. Test of our trust. In Genesis 3, 5. And that was what the enemy attacked with, with Adam and Eve. In Genesis 3, 5, the word of God says that God knows, this is Satan speaking to um, Eve. He says, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, now listen. God had told Adam and Eve, don't eat of this fruit. The same way, when we're growing up, in our houses and in a lot of my friends' houses, there are many chairs, but there is daddy's chair. The same way, you can sit everywhere, but you, 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 even though the man is not around, you just walk around that chair. You don't want to sit on it. I mean, because you honor him, you respect him. The same way God said to Adam and Eve, this garden, I give you charge. Eat anything you want. Take care of it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to manage what you eat. Enjoy yourself. Eat anything you want, but don't touch daddy's chair. Don't touch this tree. And he didn't give any reason. Why? He just told them the consequences of. And Satan came and, 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 and challenged and attacked the trust that Adam and Eve had with God. The issue, the temptation is just about attacking the trust. Did God really say that? <laughs> Even they said that, let me tell you, because God knows that this thing is good for you. You know what Satan was trying to tell them? That God is, God is keeping something good away from them. He was saying, the moment you eat this tree, hmm, if you know what will begin to happen to you, you begin to float. 
You become wise. You become this. You become that. Don't mind God. Anything that can make you not to trust God can destroy you. Really. And that's what the enemy just wants to do. He wants to sow doubt in our hearts about God. And that is really, as far as our possessions are concerned, that's really what the tithe means. That's really what the tithe does. That's really the basis for tithing. God is not hungry. God is God. God says that the cattle of the thousand hills are mine. But the same way God said to Adam and Eve, this is everything, but this one don't touch. The same thing. But we see many people struggle with tithing. I'm like, why? It's so simple. It's so simple because if God has just said, don't touch it. In fact, not only did he say don't touch it, he added blessings if you don't touch it. Ah! That's his free bonus for, for obedience. Which he didn't have to do. Four things about tithing that I believe God wants you to know this morning. I will move on from there. The first one is that you can't tithe if you don't trust. You can't tithe if you don't trust. I mean, that's a no-brainer, given the background that we've set. You can't tithe if you don't trust. If you, don't, if you can't trust God, you can't tithe. Are you struggling with tithing? You're actually struggling with your trusting of God. You actually you are struggling to trust God. That's all. Are you going to break out of that fear and trust God and see what God will do? Today, I pray you do. Number two, second thing you need to know about tithing you know is the first one is you can't tithe. You can't tithe if you don't trust. The second thing is everyone tithes, whether you know it or not. You're a faithful tither. <laughs> everyone is a faithful tither. Whether you know it or not. Why? Because the first 10% of your income goes to something. It goes to something. For some people, it goes to paying debt. They tithe to debt to their creditors. For some people, the first 10% of their money goes to paying bills. For some people, the first 10% goes to enjoyment. For some people, the first 10% goes to dot, dot, dot. You can fill in the blanks. But what is guaranteed is that if the first 10% doesn't go to God, it will go to a devourer. Everybody will pay tight. You just need to choose where I will pay my tithe. That's all you need to choose. You need to choose where you need to pay your tithe. But that you will not pay tithe, you will pay. In fact, if you are not paying to God, you will pay double. Because, in fact, the devil doesn't collect 10%. Too. He collects extra. So the tithing matter is not a matter of choice. Really. Because you're a faithful tithe already. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a faithful tithe, my brother, my sister. Now ask them, where is your tithe going? That's the question. <laughs> now, the second thing about tithing. The third thing about tithing you need to know is that giving a tithe 
to something or someone other than God is robbing God. God said it himself. Giving a tithe to something or someone other than God is robbing God. Giving your tithe to motherless baby's home is not tithing. No, of course not. Some people are surprised. Oh, I thought I was tithing. No, it's not. It's a free will giving which you should do as a Christian. You should take care of the, of the poor. I should. You and I should. But your tithe is your first 10% and it goes to God. The first thing you need to know about tithing is that God invites us to test his generosity with tithing. In Deuteronomy, God says, Thou shalt not test the Lord your God, thy God, right? But with tithing, God says, Test my generosity. Test me in this. Try me and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you a blessing that there will not be enough room to come. Test me. So, so God is saying, test my generosity. Test how generous I can be with tithing. Isn't that amazing? Totally amazing. So, so someone walks up to me and says to me how he's so wealthy, how he's so this, how he has one warehouse, that this inventory level of the warehouse is two billion, two billion naira, how this, we're just talking, you know, you know that money can make some people go nuts. And, of course, I was just listening to him. And he says to me, but you know what, I don't tithe. I say, eh. And I just didn't say anything. And at the end, he was leaving my office. And he said that, you didn't, I noticed, Pastor, that when I said I, didn't, I don't tithe, that you didn't argue with me. That he's been to other pastors that once he says he doesn't tithe, once he tells them the history of how wealthy he is, and he tells them he doesn't tithe, they begin to open the Bible, showing him how he should tithe. How he, de, 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 de. But you, you didn't argue with me. I said, am I supposed to argue with you? I said, God will teach you how to tithe. Me? Teach you how to tithe? No. I said to him, God taught me how to tithe. I can't tell you that story. Right? It's, a, it's, a, it's a painful journey that he took me through on how to tithe and why I should tithe. So I said to him, don't worry. We can't fight over tithing. Why? I mean, am I God? Can't God fight for himself? Abba. So I assured him that God will teach him how to tithe. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, God is teaching him how to tithe. <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. Anyway, back to this text. I need to wrap this up. <laughs> it's all over the place. God wants you and I to understand stewardship. Everybody say stewardship. God wants us to understand stewardship. Stewardship. In 2 Corinthians, 2, uh, 2 Corinthians 7 8, God says in his word that, this is Paul speaking, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says, God is ready to overwhelm you with blessings than you could ever imagine. So you will always be taken care of in every way 
and you will have more than enough to share. Now, the, the KJV says God is able to supply all grace, make all grace abound to you so that you without sufficiency. I mean, this is a lot of grammar. But look at it, this translation. I really love it. It says, God is ready to overwhelm you with more blessing than you could ever imagine. I want you to pause and just receive that. Amen. Just receive it. God is ready to overwhelm you. He's ready to overwhelm us with more blessing that we could ever imagine. For two reasons. For two reasons. For two reasons. So that they will take care of your every need. Wow. So God cares about my every need. He does. So that he will take care, so that you will be taken care of in every way. But you see, the problem with a lot of us is after we've been taken care of in every way, and we still see that there's still more coming, guess what we do? After God has supplied all our needs, we now begin to supply all our wants. I want more shoes. I want more cars. I want more houses. I want more dresses. I want more this. I want more that. And that's, that's the problem. He says, God will take care of every, take care of you in every way, and you will have more than enough to what? To share. So the purpose of your abundance is generosity. That's what the Bible says. It says, God, so, so in other words, God does not promise to bless us so we can be richer than we can ever imagine. He promises to bless us so we can be more generous than we've ever imagined. So God is, is not, is not, gonna, is, is not promising to bless you beyond your imagination that we say we should receive so that you can be richer and just richer and just richer. He's blessing you so that you will take care of yourself, you take care of your family, you will meet your needs, but you will have much more than enough to what? To share. So in other words, God is using you and I as a channel of distribution. I need us to get that. A channel of distribution to our community, a channel of distribution. Some of us, we've beaten the, the bait, and it's a poisonous bait. You know what a bait is? When you want to kill a rat. Of the enemy. That we just need to acquire more. We just need to acquire more. We just need to acquire more. It's a lie. How much money does a man really need in his life? Think about it. How much money does a man really need? Not a lot. House. Mobility. Can go anywhere you want to go. You have clothes on your back. Not a lot. Then what happens to all the excess? Let me ask you this question. If an angel appeared to you like an angel appeared to Nebuchadnezzar and the angel said to you, you have 24 hours to live. I know some of you in your hearts, I say, Pastor, I reject that. 
Jesus. <laughs> you know, Christians, we don't want to face eternity. Yet we want to go to heaven, yet we don't want to die. Okay, I will not die young. Okay, fine. <laughs> but for the purpose of this exercise, imagine an angel appears to you and the angel says to you, you have 24 hours to live. Are you going to start thinking about that shoe that gave you sleepless nights throughout last week because you couldn't buy? Would that be important? Will the promotion that you are about to abuse your boss and abuse his father's 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 father that you did not get, will you be asking for promotion? Will that, listen, will that be important? The house that you, you wanted to buy and you are, you, are, you are stealing money so that you can buy a house. Is there someone here stealing money so that you can buy a house? God, are you... Are you is this a word of knowledge? I don't know. It just came out of my mouth. You are stealing money to buy a house. You have 24 hours to live. How important would that be to you? Listen. When you put eternity in view, Money becomes nothing. And that is exactly how God wants you and I to relate with, with possessions. It, it doesn't own us. Praise the name of the Lord. Your car does not own you. The number of houses you have or you don't have does not define you, does not own you. It doesn't. And it shouldn't. So money and possession lose their value in light of eternity. And on earth, there are only two things of eternal value on earth. Only two things that are of eternal value on this earth. Only two things that have eternal value on this earth. Only two things. Number one, the word of God. Number two, the souls of men. Everything else on this earth is gone and will go. So, if I cannot invest in the word of God, if I cannot invest in the souls of men, in taking care of people, in helping people that are poor, in, in, in just putting smiles on other people's faces, if, if I cannot do that, then I am not investing in eternity. Jesus said, I was hungry, you fed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was in prison, you visited me. Those are the only two things that have eternal value. So, Pastor, what are you saying? What I'm saying is this. God has called us to be stewards. What we have does not belong to us. Because who we are is not even ours. We don't, we don't own ourselves, that is. We don't. So I've made up my mind, and I think you should too. To invest my life in those two things that have eternal value. To invest my life in the word of God. In ensuring the word of God prospers on earth. To invest my life in the souls of men. In ensuring that other people are helped. Those are the only two things that will last. 
Everything we own is the test of our affection, our devotion, and our trust. Everything. So you may be here and you're like, Pastor, wow. I can't even say I belong to God. I can't even say that Jesus is the Lord of my life. I cannot even say. Or maybe I used to, I used to be with Jesus, I, I, but I, I, I know I'm vaccinated. Everyone knows I'm vaccinated. I'm not with God anymore. I want to, I want to give my life to God. Let's burn our hearts. Burn our hands. I want to pray with you wherever you are seated. You are saying, Pastor, not only my possessions, myself. I want to give myself to this God. I want to pray with you. You don't need to come forward. But wherever you are seated, Pastor, that is me. Pray with me. Wherever you are seated, please put up your hand. I need to know you are there. Over your head now. Quickly. God bless you. Put up your hand. Put up your hand well. Put it up well. Put it up well. God bless you. God bless you, sir. God bless you right there. God bless you. Put it up well. Put it up well. That is me. Jesus, come into my life. God bless you right there. God bless you at the back. God bless you right there. My sister, I can see your hand over there. God bless you. That, that, that is me. Jesus, come into my heart. 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 Oh, Jesus. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. The rest of us, let's pray. Anybody else? I, make this step. Put it up. I'm about to pray now. Quickly. That is me, Pastor. Pray with me. Jesus, come into my life. Now, over your head. Quickly. Quickly. Online, the instructions are scrolling on what to do. The rest of us, let's talk to God. Let's, let's bring our lives to God. And let's just say to God, Help me overcome materialism. That the things that I, you have put me in charge of will not own me, Lord. Say to God, I'm a steward. I'm your steward. I'm not the master. Say to him, I acknowledge you as my source. Talk to God. I acknowledge you as my source. I acknowledge you as sovereign, Lord. I don't need to eat grass, Lord. I don't need to chop grass. I acknowledge you. I acknowledge you, Lord. You are my source. You are my source. You are my source. You are my source. Father in heaven, we thank you for everyone that has heard your word. We thank you for everyone in this place today. Thank you for the grace to be stewards of you, of your possessions. Father, because we have made up our minds to be great stewards, that you open the windows of heaven over every life in this place, Lord, and pour down that blessing that there will not be enough room to contain. Let your name be glorified. Honor and glory we give unto you. Honor and glory we give unto you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, we are praying.